He's a self-described change lover, quirky communicator, and DNI enthusiast. And we should also mention that today's guest, Kelvin Tan of Standard Chartered, isn't afraid to call BS. <laughs> He'll describe for us how his work is pushing the boundaries of banking as a service here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. Dave. Darm. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dar Mystery. Demystified. Good morning, everyone. And this week, we have a very special guest, Kelvin Tan from Standard Chartered Bank. And welcome to the show, Kelvin. Would you mind just introducing yourself to the audience and tell us a bit about your role? Thanks, Darwin and Dave. Great to be on. I'm very excited to be here. My name is Kelvin. I run Standard Chartered Nexus, which is Standard Chartered Bank's global banking as a service offering. Effectively, what we allow the bank to do is to white label its entirety of its capabilities, anything from the front end all the way to ops processing license balance sheet for anyone on the front end to plug in and become a bank to their users without having to go through the heavy lifting of becoming a bank. No application of licenses, no setting up of tech stack, no putting together operational processes. All they do is partner with us, get into a commercial discussion, close the contract, and we'll provide the APIs or the app or the end-to-end -end infrastructure required for the platform. So it could be an e-commerce site, could be a ride-hailing app, could be pretty much anything on the front end and they can turn themselves and offer financial services in their brand, in their value proposition, in their capabilities to their users. What's interesting to me is, I guess this is barely like a common trend for banks to getting into now, but you guys started some time ago and you know, how did you see this trend coming and why did you try to get into this early? You're like one of the front runners, right? Yeah, well, at least in this region, in Asia, for sure, as our conversation has evolved in multiple countries, including the Middle East, we also find that we are pretty unique in terms of what we're trying to do. Well, how did we come to the conclusion that we should do this? A couple of years ago, the reality of the Standard Charters retail and SME offering globally is that outside of Singapore and Hong Kong, there are many countries where uh, we are in large developing nations with massive opportunity for scale. And we were thinking about how do we tap into that opportunity for scale without incurring the traditional cost of scaling. If you were a traditional bank and you wanted to get big in, I guess, the early 2000s, 2000, 2010, what you would do is you would think about setting up branches, hiring a direct sales force, contracting hundreds of people to run out there and sell your credit cards, your personal loans and your deposit accounts and so on and so forth. So five years ago, I sat down with Bill and a whole bunch of very progressive leaders in the bank, Judy, Samir, and so on, and said, hey guys, why wouldn't we leverage the one really monetizable asset that we have, which is the fact that we've got over 30 licenses globally. 
Now, what we should do is we should create the technical infrastructure for the bank to white label itself at scale, right? And basically let anyone plug into the front end and turn themselves into a bank. They will be our acquiring channels. Cost of acquisition will be minimal, which takes away a significant amount of operating costs for any retail or SME bank. And then your margins go up. Your overall business return on equity becomes crazy. That was the idea, right? The idea was to be able to acquire millions of customers concurrently at no more than 20 bucks a customer, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. How, how many countries or which countries are you in at the moment with the proposition? So we're live in Indonesia with Bukalapa. So Bukatabungan, which is Bukalapak's bank, I suppose, for all intents and purposes to their users, is live. The second partner, Sociola, will be live in guess hopefully soon, subject to conversations with the regulators. And a second market will be announced in very, very short course. I anticipate it should be announced in no more than four to six weeks. That's great. So in terms of take up and interest, how much are you seeing in that region? Are you inundated? Is this accelerating, you think, or it's going to take a bit of time? Right. So depends on the perspective. So if you're looking at it from the perspective of potential partners, right, the kind of ecosystem players, then there is a significant amount of interest. In fact, there's so much interest that we don't have the bandwidth to deal with all of it. We are saying, look, guys, we can only prioritize the large players to plug into the small fintechs who want to leverage those services. We'll have to wait in line till we get the big players up and running. So that's one. From the end consumer or SME perspective, that has been a significant amount of interest. We are scaling. I can't give you the official numbers, but I can tell you that we've pretty much doubled the size of the customer base of Standard Chartered in Indonesia, which they've taken 60, 70 years to build in the last five months or so. Wow. Wow. And that's purely by the partnership with the bank out in Indonesia. That's right. The partnership with the e-commerce player in Indonesia. So it's a full end-to-end digital onboarding stack. Not just onboarding, digital banking stack. But the onboarding is straight through processing. One of the first in Indonesia to achieve it. Our fastest onboarding time is 1 minute 30 seconds. Now, I'm pretty sure that customer didn't read T's and C's. But uh, other than that, yeah, technically possible. So if you look at the e-commerce example in Indonesia, I mean, obviously what they're leveraging is the license, but they're also leveraging your infrastructure. So are there particular partnerships that you've got within the region that you're able to use as part of things like KYC and onboarding, or are they sort of more traditional global plays? No, so we work with local players, all global players, depending on what suits our purposes best. But the stack that we offer, including some of the connectivity to local players for data extraction purposes, is largely in-house built in SCB. Most of it is actually off uh, open source tech, which we've upgraded for security and obviously scalability reasons for the Mac. So we've done that and it's up and running. In fact, the next step to that is actually commercializing the IP. One of the next things you'll hear in the next couple of months is that we will spin off a separate company with the IP for the technical stack, which will then sell to other banks. Wow. So this is an organization that's actually competing with other software providers, in effect. You're a tech company. That is correct. There were two arms, or at least two legs to this discussion. One is a balance sheet business, which is the best business called Nexus, which everybody knows about, which I just explained to you in the last, I guess, five, 10 minutes. And what's coming is that we are going to commercialize the IP that built Nexus 
and become a software vendor to other banks around the world, which I think we are at the tipping point of technical abilities of most large second tier, third tier banks moving into this space. Wow. And then from a banking space, did you build your own core? And how long did that take if you did? We didn't build our own core. So what we did was we delivered the stack above, we're core agnostic. So we can deliver on top of a legacy core or a new core. It doesn't really matter. We abstract all the requirements out of the core and then use the core as basically a reporting and reconciliation machine. Now, we also have our own product engine, which can double up as a core if absolutely necessary. I would not strongly recommend it if you are looking for more sophisticated stuff. But if you're looking for simple, unsecured lending and deposits, no problem. Oh, wow. I find this fascinating. In terms of scalability, I mean, what's your end goal? How many banks and end customers do you see running off the platform? Well, we always designed the platform to be infinitely horizontally scalable. We were looking at millions of concurrent read and write capabilities. So that we have achieved anyway, based on our performance testing. How many? I think from a Nexus perspective, we hopefully a couple of countries and maybe three or five partners in each country with the ambition. For the spin-off, the company will be called Audex. That company will probably hopefully serve at least one bank in every major developing market in the near future. Wow. At the moment, you're very focused on Asia, are you, rather than the world generally? Is that right? For Nexus, yes. Like I said, first country is Indonesia. Second market will be in Asia as well, and it will be announced in due course. We will announce it just before we go live. And for Audex, the geographic limitations are less constraining, obviously, because as a software provider, you can pretty much do it anywhere. We are looking at largely Asia and the Middle East. I'm really interested in the roots of all of this is a very traditional bank. So how have you built the operations around this? Because as Darm said, this sort of feels like it's becoming much more of a technology business. So technology businesses, you need sales and operations and all the other bits. So how have you built that infrastructure around the offering? So fundamentally, when we started, we designed for this end state, right? So we've always built for optimizing a purely digital offering. So the entire stack was built with a very different approach from the traditional bank. So the banking as a service offering that Standard Chartered uses the stack for is isolated and ring fenced away from the BAU business, right? So that was always the case. Whether or not that could be, the BAU business could be migrated to this solution. That's obviously a conversation that will happen at some point in time. But for now, it is meant to be ring fenced, it is meant to be protected, and it is meant to scale independently. Because anyway, this solution doesn't leverage the Sender Charter brand, right? It basically plugs into someone else, and someone else provides the branding and, and acquisition. Given that we've always designed for this end state, we've built it very differently. Like I said, a lot of the stack is open source, and we took that and effectively upgraded it. Obviously, there are numerous, too many to count, security requirements and operational requirements of the bank, which we've catered to, which I imagine when Audex comes out and we go into other banks, we'll have similar requirements, particularly the banks that are similar in shape and size to Standard Chartered. So I actually look at it as a positive. The fact that we are birthed from Standard Chartered gives us significant credibility in our ability to execute in a globally regulated and locally regulated environment. Kelvin, what's compelling about this is that you've actually spun this out of the bank 
you know, while you're still in the bank as such. And creating new ventures inside a bank, especially a tech venture, which is quite different culturally. Not many banks have done that successfully. So can you tell us a bit about your secret? Why do you think you've been successful at this? Well, it's not been an easy ride, to be fair. Okay. I'm not going to lie about it. I mean, we have very progressive leaders. Bill is very progressive. Andy is very progressive, right? Alex is very progressive. But obviously, going through the day-to-day rigmarole of trying to get through various risk owners, it has been painful and will always be painful for the right reasons because we need to safeguard the operations of regulated financial institution, right? We don't want some of what's happened in the last couple of weeks to happen to the bank. I'm not special. I'm not super technical. My CTO would laugh at me if I even claim to be technical. Uh, but I guess resilience is a defining trait. I can get up many, many times after being knocked down and it's taken us this long to get here. And I think it's a very exciting journey. I mean, I've learned a lot. I've built a new business option for the bank for scalability and I'm now building a new valuation option for the bank in terms of a technical stack that can be sold. What we heard, though, is how important it was to have the leaders of the bank really backing this. So how did you get them on board in the first place with this idea? Because I guess going back five years ago, this was something that a lot of banks were probably not thinking about. Yeah, we were building this or we were started on this way before banking as a service even became part of the official fintech lexicon, I think. <laughs> and it was quite interesting. So. I push the envelope all the time. I challenge the thinking of the leaders. I'm very direct. I don't know if you can tell that from this conversation, but I am extremely direct. <laughs> Sometimes to my own detriment, but it's gotten us this far and I will continue to push the envelope on what needs to be done. I like to call out bullshit. I do it a lot. Again, sometimes to my own detriment, but I do it. So, yeah, I think the having progressively minded leaders are great. And fantastic, and even progressively minded leaders all have a different agenda or different point of views, right? So you have to manage each one of those uh, agendas and point of views to get to where you are. But if you are laser focused on the outcome and you have a significant amount of resilience to kick clapbacks all the time, which you will get, I guess it's a matter of how far you persevere and how much how, how much skill you have to manage the competing agendas and align them in such a way that you get your way. So. I don't know if I've been skilled or lucky in the last four years, but we are here, right? In terms of Nexus, when you're working with your clients, are you just providing the platform or do you look to do more and do you provide consultancy services as well around how to run things? You know, even things like thoughts on UX and design, because I guess Standard Charters had a long history of perfecting its interface and through some of the initiatives you've had over the years, like Breathe, you've really thought long and hard about how to engage with customers. So I guess the point is, is it just a pure platform play or are there consultancy services that you deliver on top? So I would think that it is a bit of a stretch to call it consultancy services purely because the best banks in the world still don't have the best UX UI in the universe. My view is it is the best of both worlds. We bring the platform and we bring our expertise in a regulatory engagement and what are the key things to look out for when designing an end-to-end financial services offering, right? So what we do is pure and a comprehensive bank. So deposits and unsecured lending, cards and so on and so forth. And we work with players like Pukalapa whose bread and butter is the best customer experience possible 
for their users, right? E-commerce players, Amazon, I'm sure. Right, right, right. Correct. They provide the inputs as to what makes a customer feel very good. We tell them what the regulators require and what security capabilities or, or features are necessary. And in that collaborative effort, we build what has been, in my mind, one of the most slick onboarding and servicing capabilities from a digital banking standpoint. Like I said, a minute, 30 seconds for onboarding in Indonesia where you don't have a unified government database is unheard of. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I like that kind of concept of this is about collaborating and each party bringing their own strengths to the party. When you look at the customers then, let's say you've got a fintech that comes along and tells you about their proposition, they want to take on your platform. Do you do any kind of validation or will you just look anyone that wants to sign up or sign them up? Or is it much more you have to believe in what they're doing because all of this takes time to integrate, etc. So how much of that evaluation do you do? Oh, it's a partnership approach for sure. There is a comprehensive evaluation against what they want to do, how they want to do it. As with any partners of the bank, there is a process and a checklist to go through with regards to onboarding them as a partner for, I guess, identity, AML, fraud, and so on and so forth, which the bank is obliged to do either as a commercial customer or as a commercial partner. So we don't avoid that, but obviously some clauses may apply and some clauses may not apply, depending on the nature of the partnership. At some point, I believe that the best capabilities will evolve into a conversation around smaller fintechs that will come and use a portable user interface to offer basic features and functionalities. And we'll probably charge a fee for them, but that's probably a couple of years away, I think, while we expand geographically with large anchor partners around the world. So the way to think about it is this is not best banking as a service the way Europe has seen it, right? In fact, one of my biggest gripes about all of these articles that come out of Europe on LinkedIn is that they only see best from a European slash American experience where most of Asia, which is, by the way, if you include China, the most advanced in the world from a embedded finance and banking as a service standpoint, yeah, it's not quite the case. I totally agree. Yeah. It's too biased to the UK and US. One of the first papers I saw was from the Singapore Monetary Association that around BAS, that was the first time I saw the real momentum behind it. It seemed that propositions got launched faster in Europe, but then, you know, things like core replacement was happening faster in Europe as well, right? Correct. And even if propositions got launched faster, they're generally with smaller fintechs. Yeah. I'm happy to be corrected. Let me state that up front as a caveat. I may not know everything. Pretty sure I don't know everything. I haven't seen any best partnership at massive scale in Europe. I may be wrong. I would love to be corrected on that. And obviously now best is coming under the crutch. The way best has been executed in Europe. I think Simon wrote an article from 11FS previously, and he wrote an article about how best providers are coming under the crunch from a revenue standpoint because they're so dependent on interchange as revenue. Uh, so I think the model is slightly flawed from a best standpoint, but let's see how that plays out. Yeah, so the way I think about it is that banks are in the best place, at least progressive by the banks are in the best place to actually provide best. It is banking as a service, right? Not intermediate middleware as a service. I totally agree. I think I wrote a similar article some time ago I certainly feel that there's too many players in the market. Some of the ones that are much more technically led rather than license led, I see being acquired or consolidated or failing. And we've kind of seen that 
with some of the players like Solaris and Railsar, etc. There isn't enough marketplace and the real value, I think, comes from a licensed party, not just from a pure tech play. In fact, you know, what started out being very much a technical play, this is our modern architecture-based core banking service in the cloud that everyone can license so you don't have to switch, etc. You know, it's very much quickly moving towards here is a licensed party with some established business processes. All of the other things, not just the technology, but the other things that take a long time to set up that will buy you, you know, time and efficiency as well, right? So we're starting to see that kind of shift, I think. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I think Ion and Vodeno have moved well in this space. Solaris was yeah. doing well until the recent issue with Buffin. I'm not quite sure what that will mean for them. But Realza did it. Unlike Solaris and you know, and Ion, they don't have a license backing them except for the payments, if I'm not wrong. Think of it as the last five years being the first wave of a POC in Europe, effectively. Yeah. And now the banks are starting to come in, right? So NetWest have come in in their joint venture with Fodeno, if I'm not wrong. And Ion has come in with Fodeno and Solaris was, will be Solaris. And a few other players will slowly come into this space. And I'm hoping they come into this space. And if anyone's interested, Audex is providing the tech. So please give me a call. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really fascinating conversation. It's really opened my mind to the kind of depth that Standard Charter is going into and the innovation. So congratulations. It sounds yeah. like an incredibly interesting play. Definitely, you know, you're a player to be watching for the future because you've got these early successes. And I just think the strength of your balance sheet and brand is going to carry you through to be a winner. So well done. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you guys as soon as I can. Fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Don Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.